Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Borders podcast, the podcast that explores topics related to international trade. This podcast is brought to you by Buckland. For over 70 years, Buckland has been working to help companies across the world experience global trade in a better way. As a customer-focused company, we provide you with a single source of unmatched customs brokerage, trade-managed solutions, freight forwarding, trade technologies, and warehousing and distribution services. I'm your host, Jenny Kaus, Corporate Marketing Manager at Buckland, and today we are sharing a special initiative that has recently been undertaken at Buckland in response to COVID-19 to assist our team members. Buckland has launched the Only at Buckland Mental Health and Wellness Lecture Series, which is taking place over the course of four weeks and features Jennifer Harkness, who is a psychotherapist and has a counseling and art therapy practice called Courageous Heart Healing. We have found these sessions with Jen to be incredibly insightful and useful, so we are sharing them with the hope that they are helpful for others as well. The second of our four sessions is called Relationships and Mental Health During Crisis, and you will now hear the audio from a recent Zoom call that Jennifer held with our company on this topic. Without any further ado, over to Jennifer. Today, we're going to talk about relationships and mental health um, during a crisis, and hopefully, you know, the talks are really designed to build off of one another. Um, and today, you know, global pandemics turn up the volume on whatever was already there. So if, if there's pre-existing conditions, it turns up the volume on that. Um, certainly, you know, if you live alone and, you know, you already maybe were struggling with loneliness, it's going to turn up the volume with that. If you live in a household, even the households that people get along really, really well, you know, we're on the, the end of week six here in Seattle, Washington, and everybody's getting on everybody's nerves at, at this point. So that's a normal thing. And then certainly if there is already strife in your home, the volume's up on that as well. So we're going to, we're going to talk about all that, um, today, um, the talks, you know, Shirley and I talked um, Wednesday about this a little bit, just so you know, so you can best use these talks. Um, you know, they, I've designed them to build off of one another. There's a lot of information. I'm not expecting anybody to take in all the information that I'm giving. Um, I really have designed the handouts and the talks to, you can go back and review them. And, you know, it's like anything in life, how you use it is what you're going to get out of it. So, but with that said, there's a couple things that hopefully each talk, um, you know, they're like the main points we're wanting to pull out of them. So the first talk was really just the, the brain part of like, you have a puppy in your brain that is your body and your emotions and that you need to attend to it. So your thinking brain can function, uh, in an optimal way. Um, and today, um, the main focus is really about relationships. Now, Last time we talked about at the beginning that this is a collective trauma, okay? Why are relationships, why are feelings important, okay? Like, they're important because they're one of the main factors of resilience in mitigating ongoing symptoms of trauma. So Shirley had asked me, you know, what do you think? Are we going to have, like, residual effects of this pandemic moving forward, like, even generationally? And nobody really knows. We're, we're in the midst of trauma right now. Um, we, we won't know what meaning we're going to make of it or, you know, what, how it's going to play out until much later. However, you know, 
connecting with one another, connecting with ourselves, talking about feelings can really be um, a healing process to to not have such um, acute symptoms lasting um, moving forward. So again, last talk was you got to really attend to your emotions and your body first. Um, Part of that is because of needs, right? So some of you might have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like a basic psychology premise. And the last talk was really about like body and safety and security, like your base needs, right? If you are struggling with shelter, you're struggling with food, warmth, just basic physical safety, it's going to be really hard to kind of go up this ladder of needs, right? So that's why the first talk focused on that. Today, we're going to talk a lot about belonging and love, right? Connection with others. And the next talk, we're going to, we're really going to go into more of like productivity, esteem and agency and like being your best self. So hopefully again, they'll build on one another and you can go back and review them as well. So the interesting thing about humans is at any given moment, you have this little chain of events going on. So every time we do anything, You've got a sensation, you've got a primary feeling, you've got a need, emotion, and thought behind the behavior. So an example of this is, you know, if I'm cold, right, the sensation in my body, some tension, and a feeling of cold. The primary feeling, which primary feelings are joy, anger, sadness, fear, right, um, you know, might be like some fear, like, oh, nobody wants to be cold, that can be dangerous. So the need is, you know, I want to get warmed up. The emotion might be irritation. Uh, the thought is, I'm going to get a blanket, and the behavior would be going and getting a blanket, right? So it's it, that's a very simple chain of this. Um, and then, of course, sometimes the needs are, I need to be heard, or I need to be seen, and the, it gets a little bit more complicated when it's uh, emotional needs. But but the needs can be physical, emotional, relational, mental. They can be any of any of those things. So I just want to like highlight that. Everybody's got needs behind their behavior and your body and your thoughts and your behaviors all chain together and with your emotions. So some examples of the pandemic, right? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some, some examples I've been talking about with clients and that I've experienced in my own personal life. So when this all started, for instance, we all heard on the news, right, the, the run on toilet paper. And everybody was like, this is crazy. Why is everybody running on toilet paper, right? And... I, as a therapist, is like, well, they have a need for security right now, and that that is the way that they're trying to resource that need. Or my partner, he is obsessed with the news. He's watching the news constantly. He wants to talk about the news constantly. And for me, it's pretty annoying, I got to tell you, because I have a need for peace and kind of like I need a little break from, from COVID at times. But his, his need behind that is a need to know, to have some sense of control, right, of like understanding what's happening. So I can, I can have that perspective with him and have a little compassion. Um, one thing I know, there's a lot of divisiveness, right, going on in the news and opinions and, and all these kinds of things. And um, at the early in the pandemic, I had a friend who uh, was going out sailing and going out in public, regardless of the stay at home. And I was getting really mad, like super frustrated and mad about this happening. And I had to kind of sit with it and say like, Hmm, what is, what's going on with my own, you know, needs and feelings inside. And what I realized is that I have a need for safety. And so when I saw my friend doing that and going out and going against the stay at home orders, it was triggering. It was pushing that button in my brain for a need for safety. And my puppy wanted to bark and bite and growl. And I wanted to like, 
you know, send a bunch of articles and what for, this is why you shouldn't do it. And then I, I realized at a certain point that, that that wasn't actually helpful, right? Um, that my friend was coping the way they were coping. I was coping the way I was coping. And it helped regulate my nervous system to have that understanding of my own need and to understand that my friend's need, right, was freedom, that my friend needed a lot of freedom and that he was feeling too coped, cooped up and unable to cope just being at home, right? So just giving some like tangible COVID specific examples, because I've heard this a lot with people of getting frustrated with friends or loved ones or just people in the news, that sort of thing. And, you know, doing a little bit of that emotional labor and digging below it can, can help uh, with connection. Another thing that I see in the pandemic is, you know, the need of introversion, introversion versus extroversion. So we hear these terms a lot. A lot of times people get, get them confused with shy and outgoing, but they're actually not. It's more about how you recharge. So introverts, I'm actually really outgoing. I'm super friendly and gregarious, but I'm very introverted. I recharge by being by myself the most. So um, other people might be shy, but be extroverted. They recharge like going out to parties. Maybe they don't talk a lot at the party, but they recharge by being around a lot of people. Um, in, in the pandemic, um, I have noticed that the introverts up front were definitely doing a lot better, right? I think it's because, you know, some people, you know, the pace and being around other folks was actually like pushing their stress buttons and was a little bit dysregulating. So I had, for instance, clients that were having multiple panic attacks a week prior to the pandemic, like going to school or going to work, um, that when the pandemic hit, they were like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. Like I have no anxiety now, especially folks with like social anxiety and that sort of thing. Um, and then what I've noticed with the pandemic, you know, people who have a real need to be around other people and are very social are struggling more because you can't get that need met right now. You know, you're, you're at home. Um, and so that's, that's been tough um, for a lot of folks. And I just wanted to name that as those are basic needs and understanding whether you're more introverted or extroverted or there's ambiverts right in the middle, um, you know, just knowing what those needs are and resourcing for them and knowing for those extroverts that, you know, we can do parties via Zoom and stuff, but it's not quite the same. And so it's, it's definitely disappointing. So the thing with needs is, um, you know, when we get them met, we tend to have positive feelings, right? We're like content, satisfied, happy. And we, when they're not met, we have more challenging feelings. We're frustrated, we're irritated, we're sad, right? So part of the reason I'm bringing up needs in this talk is it's really about how we resource the needs and resource them in healthy ways. Um, and again, back to the relationship. So with the brain science, we are literally wired for belonging. We're wired for connection. Like way back again when we were like cave people learning how to survive, we had to belong to a group to survive. We couldn't just go out on our own and do that. So we need belonging. And that's one of the reasons um, why it's regulating and why it's important to um, focus on it. And it's also a reason why people are stressed right now because we are connecting in very different ways or, or very little right now because of um, the pandemic and, and social distancing. Um, so, you know, we talked last time about name it to tame it with the puppy, right? So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about how to attune and bond, especially in, in your households. Um, if you are in close proximity with people right now, like I said at the beginning, there's some tension that's coming up. Um, I think we're all running a marathon. I know this week a theme was everybody's just really tired, 
like exhausted this week. I know, I know I have been. And part of that is because, you know, again, this is a constant stress. Our bodies are under a constant stress, whether we explicitly understand that or name that or not, it's there. Um, so talking about it is really important. Asking our loved ones, hey, how are you feeling? And doing so in a way that's open-ended, not like I'm asking you so I can fix it. Um, or I'm asking you with an agenda, but just a simple, hey, how are you feeling right now? And ways to attune to that are if, if I said, hey, you know, I'm feeling tired and stressed, right? Um, you can reflect back just simply the same words. I hear you feel tired and stressed, or you reflect back. It's almost like attunements like a tuning forks with musicians, right? You're trying to get the forks to resonate together, right? So you open up with some empathy and try to resonate to, oh, I really understand what um, feeling tired and stressed is like right now. And you can share your own feelings. Hey, you know, I feel tired and stressed too. So there's, there's connection. Um, it's really basic active listening skills. You can also ask open-ended questions like um, what's stressing you out the most right now, right? It's about getting curious and connecting and giving permission to express and um, just holding a person in the space that they're at. Um, feelings language, right? Again, it's regulated, it's regulatory for the puppy, um, but it's, it's also about efficiently meeting those needs. So I'm going to go back to the example of my partner um, listening to the news nonstop. So I would get done with a day of work listening to COVID stress all day and he spends a lot of time alone for, for his work. And so he'd be very excited to talk, right? He's more extroverted. I'm more introverted. You can see there's like a clash of needs already going on. And then he would say, Oh, I want to tell you about all the latest news and specifically, you know, like what's going on in the U S with Trump. Right. And I would instantly feel my button and my brain get pushed. Right. And I'd start getting stressed because I have a need for peace in that moment. So how do you communicate that right now? You know, sometimes you might be a little snarky or something, you know, th those moments happen and we're going to talk about how to repair those, but nonviolent communication is a really um, effective way to say like, Hey, I noticed that when you talk about the news and you talk about Trump, I feel really stressed and I have a need for peace and calm right now. And I'm just wondering, can we talk about that like tomorrow morning or something when I'm not so tired or can we not talk about that at all for like a week, whatever the request is. And then you negotiate it together. And then maybe he says back, you know, I have a need for connection and I am really needing to know what's going on in the news and want to talk about it. Can we talk about that later? So again, it's about trying to communicate with each other in the least defensive way um, to create connection and resource for needs. So, you know, they're just some, some language templates. Um, in the handout, I have resourced a lot of different stuff in the handout for, for today's talk for you to peruse, right? Um, vulnerability is a strength. And, and I've got a cat finally in the, in the illustrations for you cat people. I was thinking about um, the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz, right? And the courage of heart, right? You know, and vulnerability is actually a strength. Um, because it gives permission for everybody else to have their feelings too. And we are feeling-based animals, feeling-based people. Um, so in talking about the feelings, again, regulates the puppy. So when we lead or caretake with vulnerability, right, we, um, we're leading by example and we're actually helping people to perform better when we, when we do that. So that's why talking about feelings is so important. 
Um, so again, you know, you always want to meet physical needs first, right? You know, and that's why for those uh, people who have lost jobs are worried about, you know, food or paying bills, that sort of thing, their stress is definitely more at this point, right? And and they need those physical resources before you can even really get up into like, okay, I'm going to fine tune the communication in my relationships. Um, and like we talked about last time, comparative suffering isn't helpful. So if you do have food and bills paid, but you're still stressed and struggling, that's also valid, right? And then it's about resourcing for maybe um, your emotional needs and, and what's going on there. You don't have to attune to people 100% of the time. In fact, it's actually not good to attune to people 100% of the time because especially with kids, if you if you try to meet your kids' emotional needs 100% of the time, you actually create more anxiety, right? If you don't attune to them enough, you create neglect and anxiety, right? So you're really shooting for like a 60 to 80% window in there of like the good enough boss or the good enough parent or the good enough caretaker, right? And and it's it's over time, So, you know, we might in a year with our family have a few months where we're just like off our game, right? And we're not really present and meeting a lot of needs. But the rest of the year, you know, we're doing a good enough job. You're putting money in the relational bank to weather those storms, right? And, you know, this this also applies to work life, right? And that's why, you know, I'm happy to support the Buckland family, you know, in your organization too, because you're putting money in the bank by checking in with each other and creating trust, basically. So everybody functions better. Um, and hopefully you're learning why that's important um, in the talks uh, as well. So with that said, putting money in the bank, right? If you've ever heard of love languages, um, Love languages are quality time, so just hanging out together, prioritizing, spending time together, touch, hugs, that sort of thing, acts of service, so cooking meals, washing cars, doing things, kind things for people, right? Giving gifts or just giving verbal appreciation. Now, back to some examples in, in my own life, you know, we oftentimes tend to try to attune to people or show love to people in the way that we we like to. So like my partner is an acts of service person. So he'll go like wash my car, right? And that's really him saying, oh, I love you. And, and I really appreciate you. Um, but my love language is more verbal appreciation. Like I actually would rather hear like, oh, good job, Jen. You're so amazing, right? And so I will verbally give that to him. And, and it's kind of like a myth, right? Because he's like, uh, it would be better if you like, you know, uh, made dinner or something that would actually hit that need better for him and vice versa if he told me that he appreciated me. So learning your loved one's love language and trying to communicate to them in that way is another way of resourcing needs and creating more connection and putting money in the bank. Um, so, you know, reflecting on on that can be really helpful. Again, you know, last week we talked about the mirror neurons, right? Um, this is another reason what we're talking about here too is co-regulation. It's another reason for you to take care of yourself and put the oxygen mask on you first, because, you know, especially uh, I'm talking to a lot of moms and the homeschooling is so hard right now for, for parents and not just moms, but of course, um, oftentimes women take on that, that role more. Um, but, you know, they're exhausted, they're trying to get kids to motivate and create structure and all these things, and they're getting stressed out and tempers are getting short. Um, you can either join your kids in their chaos, right, or you can work on really regulating yourself and having them join you in your calm, right? And that's one of the reasons why oxygen mask on you 
is so important. Um, I also want to put in there, I was reading a chart um, from some educators today of like realistic expectations on how much education at homeschooling kids need. And uh, I think one of them was like, you know, kindergarten was like 30 minutes a day, right? And I think some parents have the expectation they're supposed to be homeschooling like seven hours a day right now. And I don't think that that's a very realistic expectation. Now, what's really helpful right now, because we're all in a stress and trauma response, is showing up emotionally for your kids. That right now will have more impact for their nervous systems and create better learning and um, better functioning over time than pushing homework. So, again, you know, the puppy is such a priority. If, if we really want to thrive, we really want to perform well, we have to address the puppies and how we do it as caretakers is essential. So empathy and compassion. You know, I was, I was talking about my friend who, who went sailing, right? Um, empathy is, is feeling with somebody and compassion is understanding maybe a per, another person's experience. Um, you don't have to agree with one another and you don't have to condone other people's actions. You can totally disagree and you can even say that's unacceptable to me um, while having compassion, right? I, I still don't agree with my friend going out in public and I can have compassion for my friend in that and say, oh, I understand why they're doing it. And here's the thing, you know, I communicated that with my friend just like we're talking about in, in this talk and we had some bonding moments over it and some understanding um, so the compassion ended up being something that connected the two of us. And it was also just for me so I could let go of my irritation and anger, right? So compassion is, is actually for you as well to understand maybe why people are, are doing what they're, what they're doing. I want to go back to, you know, triggers and the, the button getting pushed in our brains, right? So, you know, there's threat change pain can, can push that button, but also, you know, uh, there can be buttons pushed on an intellectual level an emotional level. Like I talked about, um, you know, maybe a trigger is, you know, not being heard or seen. You have a need for that. And when you don't feel heard and seen that, that gets pushed. It can, triggers can be a lot of different things. And that's why understanding your triggers, understanding uh, your loved one's triggers um, can be really helpful. And in the handout, there's some um, charts and some questions to help you uh, navigate that. When this button gets pushed, if it gets pushed hard, um, it takes about 20 to 40 minutes for the neurohormones in your body to actually calm down. So that's why sometimes we actually need some space and some distraction to get away from it before we come back and talk about it. Um, it's very difficult, again, to talk about what's going on when that, when that button is pushed. Um, so just being aware of, you know, what your personal symptoms are, you know, your physical symptoms. I know for me, like I just, my jaw clenches and I start to get like really hot. That's a, that's an indicator that my button is pushed and maybe I need to attend to my puppy before I start to speak. Right. A lot of people will try to go computer to computer. We talked about this last time. Um, and that feels really dismissive to a lot of people, um, trying to go in and fix it, you know, like, uh, I think men are oftentimes in the West, um, enculturated to do this more where I'll say to my partner, Oh, you know, gosh, I'm so tired and stressed. And he'll come in with like, well, have you thought about doing this and this and this, and, you know, like trying to fix it. And that usually pushes my button more. Right. Um, it creates defensiveness in people. So, you know, it's not about that you don't come up with problem solving at a certain point, but it's about attending to the computer first and saying, yes, your feelings are valid. I understand that. 
and how can I help? Right. Um, there, there can be shame sometimes in, in fixing and dismissing, uh, feelings when we go in and, and do that. So again, you know, all of our buttons with this pandemic are pushed to a certain degree all the time. And then things will happen, especially at home where they get pushed more. Right. Um, I am not as a therapist. I've always said this. I'm not concerned with conflict. Conflict is actually not a bad thing. It's, it's an important thing to build trust. It's how we navigate the conflict that I'm concerned about because it's inevitable. We are going to have conflict with each other. We're going to get on each other's nerves. How we engage it and how we work through it is, is really a big hallmark of the quality of our relationships and our trust and how we're regulating and, and how we learn from the conflict, right? So I always look at conflict as like a growing opportunity, like an opportunity to figure out how to calm down and how to create connection and how to learn from it so we can be even better going forward. So, you know, we're all having some, some ruptures, you know, in our lives right now um, being at home together. And, and that's actually not a problem. It's really about how we engage it. I'm just going to check time. Okay, perfect. So again, you calm your puppy, you go to sensory-based activities, you try to, to calm your body down, and then you can pause and have your computer boot up, and then you have access to choice, right? So if, if my boyfriend says to me, oh, I want to talk about the news, and I'm getting really upset about it, if I pause, um, I'm not going to maybe change my initial reaction, which might be irritation. My puppy wants to bark and growl, right? Or maybe it's just like a shutdown. My puppy wants to like hide and do nothing, but I can pause and I can boot up and say, okay, I'm going to take a break. And then I'm going to talk to you about it and, and create connection. So we don't always have choice in what's happening. We don't always have choice in how we initially feel about it. But if we pause and we regulate, we do have choice in how we respond. And a lot of times when that button gets pushed, we go to like default mode, right? So if you, you know, again, if, if your puppy goes to fight mode, that's nine times out of 10 where you're going to go, right? Um, and it's okay that you're having that initial reaction. But if you can learn to pause, then you can make a different choice in how you respond to others. So that's another reason why all this is so um, important. The last uh, part about um, relationship is gratitude and appreciation. So gratitude and choice all live up in your computer, right? And Gottman Institute is, is very clear about this, that, you know, part of putting money in the bank is, is gratitude and appreciation, and it's a five-to-one ratio. So when we have a complaint, right, we need to have five positives because that negativity bias in the brain, our brains will definitely focus more on the challenge than the positive. So, you know, and it can be really simple things like, you know, if my partner brings me coffee in the morning, oh, thank you. I really appreciate it when you bring me coffee, right? We tend to take these things for granted and forget to give appreciation for just the simple things. And then our brains will focus on, you know, like you didn't put too much or you put too much cream and sugar in this or something. You know, well, we tend to do that as humans. So, you know, really putting some, some perspective and intention and mindfulness into focusing on the positive, especially in a pandemic. I've been telling everybody, like, celebrate the wins, celebrate the little wins. Like, if you take a shower or you eat a salad or go for a walk or if your partner uh, gives you a hug, like, make sure to pause and, um, and appreciate that. So the last part of this um, talk today is is going over mental health. Now, this is all really complicated, and I am not diagnosing, obviously, in a talk. What, what my intention is is just to give you some indicators of what to look out for and some resources of where to reach out for help. In the handout, there are all kinds of links 
to like anxiety scales to kind of look like, where am I actually at on this? And do I need to reach out to um, a counselor and different resources in Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. where Buckland um, is on, on how to reach out for help. So I want to just talk a little bit about spoon theory. So spoon theory comes from folks with chronic illness. And the theory goes like this. Neurotypical healthy people wake up in the morning with like, like, let's say 20 spoons and they've got plenty of spoons to go through the day and, and every activity, like taking a shower, having breakfast, going to work, they take a certain amount of spoons. Okay. Let's say by the end of your work day, you've used 10 spoons and then you have 10 spoons for the evening. Okay. Now, people who are neurodivergent, meaning like maybe they have ADHD, a learning disability, autism, if you have mental or physical illness, those folks, they don't wake up with 20 spoons. Maybe they wake up with 15 spoons. Maybe they wake up with 10 spoons. And by the end of the day, either they've spent all their spoons just doing basic stuff or they have a deficit of spoons, right? So, so spoon theory has always been a good metaphor um, in my life for people um, of like, where are you at with your spoons today? Okay. Like how's your energy level is really part of what we're talking about here. And right now in the pandemic, everybody's missing some spoons. Nobody has a full set of spoons when you wake up in the morning right now, just because of the uncertainty and the um, the lack of predictability and the being outside of our routines, all the things we're going through just takes away some spoons. And then some people have even less spoons. So sometimes we need to share spoons, right? So, you know, my partner has more spoons than me. So, you know, sometimes he needs to come in and, and like help me out on some things because I don't have as many spoons as he does. So looking at, you know, what our energy levels are and, and you know, how we've been functioning pre-pandemic and in-pandemic and sharing resources is really important. So anxiety, you know, everybody has had anxiety to a certain degree. Think about a time when you had a test or a presentation or something that made you feel anxious and stressed, okay? Everybody has it. Part of anxiety is excitement, right? That's like the flip side. There's a Fritz Perls talks about anxiety is, is just excitement without breath, right? There's, there's a piece of anxiety that, that can be motivating, right? Or us preparing to do things. Now, people who have an anxiety disorder, think about that time you were, you know, anxious for a test. They feel like that all the time, right? It's like a constant feeling of anxiety. And, and again, it's very exhausting. Um, Anxiety is more about hyperarousal, right? The nervous system is just like, go, 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 ah, but not really functioning well, but, but at a heightened state. Um, a lot of times people think about anxiety as worry, you know, oh, but I haven't been worried. But anxiety actually can, my anxiety oftentimes uh, manifests as uh, irritation, right? So anxiety can actually be irritation. It can actually be shut down in silence. It can be a lot of different things, not just worry. So again, in the handout, there's some anxiety scales. You can look into that more. Um, the question is always like, what's normal, right? If, you know, you're anxious once in a while, that's, that's normal. If it starts to persist over, you know, days and the scales are usually like two weeks, you, you probably need to talk to somebody and, and get some support. And of course, you know, mental health counselors, we are trained to, to do that and, and provide skills to help. Depression, right, is, is the hypo arousal. It's the puppy shutting down and going to freeze and faint. And it's really a lot of times about overwhelm. And people 
the word depression, like, oh, I'm so depressed. People use that for just being sad for a couple of days. Um, but depression, clinical depression is more than, than just that. And in fact, some people with clinical depression don't really experience a lot of sadness. They just feel apathy. They feel nothing. A lot of times people will report to me, I just feel empty. I don't, I, I can, you could give me my favorite piece of cake and I would just be like, meh, it doesn't taste like anything. I'm not having any reaction. That's depression, right? So everybody's hypo arousing at certain times during this pandemic. You know, if you're like on the couch for a couple of days and you're like, I just have no motivation. I think that's normal with the, the stress that we're all under. But if it's lasting more than a few days or it's cycling like every week, like half the week or something like that, it's definitely a, a time to maybe reach out and talk to somebody about that and get, get some support. Um, with anxiety and depression, right, your, your computer's not functioning very well. So a lot of people will fixate on different things. Fixation is also another word for it is ruminating. So thinking about the same things over and over and over. I know at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I could not stop thinking about getting sick. Like every, every time I caught my mind wandering, it was like, I'm going to get sick, right? So part of, part of that is like obsessive thoughts and giving your mind a healthy job and an outlet to think about something different um, is, is really helpful um, when you're fixating. With fixation in mental health, um, a lot of people run what's called cognitive distortions. So perfectionism, doing a lot of shooting, I should be coping better, I should be doing this better, or blame, like, you know, why are they doing this and fixating on, like, maybe other people. I think that's partly why my partner fixates on politics. He, he has a, a need to fixate on what other people are doing sometimes and, and blaming is a way to, to cope. Um, you know, really catastrophizing, thinking of the end of the world, going to worst case scenario, black and white thinking. There's a list of cognitive distortions in the handout, but people tend to not be thinking clearly. You can't always believe everything that you're thinking, and that's the tricky part about mental health. So kind of being aware of maybe your own patterns, um, you know, of thoughts that aren't helping you um, can, can be a good route of self-care. We talked before about trauma. So any, any of you that have pre-existing um, trauma, PTSD, that sort of thing, even if it's been resolved, you know, this pandemic will, will trigger it and bring it up a little bit more. So again, this is like the spoons, you know, you, you might be feeling extra triggered and having symptoms that maybe you haven't had for a while, like intrusive thoughts or, or lack of sleep or nightmares or something coming back up. That's a really common thing in the pandemic. Um, we talked about this is a grief and loss process, right? You know, we've, there's life before the pandemic and all the things we were doing. And now there's life after I, I work with a lot of seniors in high school. They're devastated, right? That, you know, no graduation, no prom, all these things that they were looking forward to are gone. And so that's a huge grief and loss process. And, and this is one of those opportunities to connect, you know, like, Hey, Sudi, how are you feeling about, you know, having graduation on zoom or not having prom and just listening and giving empathy and not trying to fix it, but just being with that experience with them can be very, very powerful and grief and loss. You know, when we, when it comes up, any unresolved grief and loss comes up with it. Right. So sometimes people can be feeling, you know, loss in the pandemic, but it's also bringing up all kinds of loss that came before the pandemic too. And that's, that's quite normal and getting support for that can be helpful. We talked about chronic illness, right? Of course, the pandemic um, for people with pre-existing health conditions, that's, that's why we're staying at home in large part, right? To protect those folks and help them out 
um, because they're very high risk right now. So that's going to add stress to them and in an already difficult, um, you know, situation with just functioning on a daily basis. So, you know, one thing you can do, we talked in, in the last talk is just check in on people. If you know people that have chronic illness or mental health issues, check in with them. Just say, Hey, how are you doing? Right. Um, addictions. So, you know, addictions can be a lot of different things. It can be food, exercise, alcohol, drugs, gambling, a lot of different things. Um, when is it a problem? So I think a lot of people are drinking more during the pandemic. I'm noticing this uh, being a phenomenon. And I think people, again, if you look at the needs behind it, they are wanting comfort. They are wanting escape. They are just wanting a break, right? Um, you know, a glass of wine or, or two or something like that, that's probably fine um, in an evening or a few times a week. But when does it become a problem um, is when it's really impacting your relationships, your functioning, your health. Um, if you're primarily using it for self-soothing and, and nothing else, it becomes, you know, obsessive. You can't stop or you have withdrawal symptoms. Those are all cues that maybe there's something bigger going on. And it's interesting because my insurance company sent me um, a free behavioral health assessment for addictions right now. And I was like, ooh, this is a cue, on, a cue in that addictions are a thing right now. So again, in the handout, there's some, some resources and ways that you can look into like, uh, is is my drinking a problem right now or um, the amount of cookies that I'm eating, you know, that sort of thing. Um, just checking into that for, for your own self-care. We talked a little bit about, you know, if there was already strife in your household, um, you know, it can be, it can be bigger right now, right? Everybody's under stress. Um, I, I felt the need to put the domestic violence uh, and abuse uh, slide in here because that's very serious. And if you, um, you know, are feeling, like your safety is at risk. There's all kinds of resources and private lines you can call and, and get resourced for that. So, you know, it can be emotional, mental, physical, sexual bullying, you know, can be up more. I'm, I'm noticing that online, like way more toxic behavior and bullying online and that sort of thing. So, you know, setting boundaries, um, physical safety is really important. Um, so definitely resource for yourself or if you have suspicion of somebody else, um, you know, reach out to them and, and see if you can help. Um, the last one is suicide prevention, right? So um, there are websites, there's this, this phenomenon, mental health first aid, right? That can be very, very helpful. Um, a lot of folks have suicidal ideation right now or thoughts of self-harm. And a lot of times that the, and what's the need underneath it, right, is to escape an experience or a feeling that's too overwhelming for them. And this is a, another reason why talking about feelings is important, right? Um, because it's normal to feel overwhelmed right now. And those thoughts can even be somewhat normal. But acting on them, of course, is quite scary and dangerous. So looking for cues of, you know, if people are self-harming or isolating a whole bunch, you know, if you have a friend that you just haven't heard from for a while, like reach out to them. If people are, you know, have access to any kind of means, um, they constantly express like hopelessness, that sort of thing. Really trying to help them uh, seek professional help is, is very, very important um, in that. And, you know, you, you're not a professional, so, you know, you're not responsible for, for helping that, for them through that, but definitely resourcing them to a professional is, is very important. And there's so many helplines now. Like I know in Washington State, we even have this new thing called 211. You just call like 911 and it's, you talk to crisis counselors. So a lot of areas do have that, and I have that in the handout if, if you have any concerns. So again, when and where to seek help, any of the above that I just talked about, definitely, you know, look into it, 
you know, there's Google, there's all the stuff in the handout. And just remember too, you know, mental health counseling is not just about, you know, if you are in a crisis, everybody can benefit from some support from time to time. And I certainly have plenty of people I'm talking to that are like, you know, I'm okay for the most part, but I'm just constantly stressed and I need somebody to talk to. Right. I, some of my sessions lately have even just been like, I need to talk to somebody besides like my family. And we're just having even more like conversational sessions rather than like working on things. And that, that is therapeutic for all the reasons that I just talked about. So asking for help is, is really brave and it's important. And it's a way to, again, do self-care and resource for yourself, which ultimately helps everybody else out in your home and, and who you're working with. And, and we're in this together for sure. So just like we talked about before, oxygen mask on you first, then your marriage, your kids, your friends and family, and work, right? And this is about that hierarchy of needs and the foundation and, and resourcing for that. Once again, realistic expectations. You're not going to be at peak performance, and that's okay. You're probably going to be tired and struggle with motivation. Totally okay. That's very normal from what you know we can tell in mental health in a, in a pandemic. Um, just do the best you can. And again, ask for help when you need it. And just know that everybody's stressed. And this is where if you have enough spoons, right, to reach out to people and connect, reach out. So lastly, you know, like I said, the handout this week um, is pretty dense in resources. So if you have any kind of like, oh, you know, my, I think my aunt might be drinking too much or, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really fighting with my spouse a lot or, oh, my kids and how do I get them motivated? There's lots of stuff in the handout of tangible resources um, to maybe make some game plans to support or find other resources to help you. And that concludes the second of four sessions from the Only at Buckland Mental Health and Wellness Lecture Series on the Beyond Borders podcast for today. Keep listening to future episodes for the third and fourth sessions. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me directly at marketing at buckland.com or check the show notes for resources. If you're looking for more resources related to international trade, check out buckland.com and click on the learning section across the top of the website. Here, you'll find a range of resources, including learning guides, webinars, and podcasts. Our downloadable learning guides include IncoTerms charts, common trade terminology, how to avoid border delays, and many more. We also have a whole host of on-demand webinars available on our website, available for instant download. So check those out to access free and informative presentations. The best way to keep up to date on all of these resources that I've mentioned is through our weekly newsletter. We send out a newsletter every Wednesday containing our latest resources, as well as a roundup of the latest trade news delivered right to your inbox. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us through our website's contact us page, through Twitter, where our handle is at Buckland Tweets, on our LinkedIn company page, or on Instagram, where our handle is Buckland Insta. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Borders podcast, and be sure to tune in again and subscribe for more great conversations about importing, exporting, and everything else in the world of logistics and international trade.